Welcome to the Calvary Assembly podcast with weekly messages from Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. So today we're starting a new sermon series. It's called Risen. Uh, there's, a, there's a black screen, but it's okay. Uh, it's called Risen. It's called, uh, what we're doing is we're looking at eyewitness accounts of people who saw the tomb, people who saw Jesus risen. And we're doing this, we're building up to Easter with these five sermons. And so today we get to look at a story in Mark, and it's, it's arguably an interesting story, one of the most interesting stories of an eyewitness account. One is because you don't really, in Mark, you don't really see a risen Jesus. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. They, they show you that the tomb's empty, and they say that the women can go to Galilee, but in the earliest manuscripts, and you'll see it in your Bible if you read, it has a cutoff right after Mark chapter 16, verse 8. It says, this is where Mark ends in the earliest manuscripts, and then this other stuff was added afterwards. So Mark 8 ends without people seeing a risen Jesus. And it's an interesting story. So we're going to be looking at that. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about first is just a little story that I heard. There was this guy, he was walking by a baseball field, and he saw two teams out there playing, and it looks like they were going really hard at it, and they were, they were just enjoying themselves. And he walked up to a kid sitting on the bench. He's like, hey, kid, what's the score? And the kid looks at him. He's like, oh, it's 18-0 them. And the guy was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. You are getting absolutely crushed, just destroyed. I played softball. That was us at times, 18-0, right? We're getting crushed. But he, the kid's like, what do you mean? We're not getting destroyed. We haven't even come up to bat yet. So the kid had faith. The kid had hope that something better would come. Now, on some of the teams I played softball on, there was no hope. If we got 18-0, just, just pack the bags, let's go. Not the last few years, Caleb and Daniel. Not the last few years before you stole my players and starting a new team. All right? No, it's okay. It's a joke between us. But no. So he had hope. The kid had hope that something awesome would come. And the story today is I've titled it, I know the, the series is titled Risen, but I've titled this sermon, A Call to Believe, A Reason to Hope. Because God calls us to believe in something, and he gives us a reason to hope. That kid had hope that something awesome was going to happen. I mean, if you're down 18-0 and you still have hope, you have hope, right? You're doing good. And so today, Mark is traditionally considered the oldest of the four Gospels. Just a little background on the book we'll be reading from. And the book of Mark gives the descriptions of Jesus' life, work, and teaching, as well as his death and resurrection. And it literally, it doesn't have very much background information, and it doesn't have very much philosophy. You read Matthew. Matthew was directed at the Jews. There's a lot of stuff that allude to the Old Testament. Mark doesn't have any of that, really. Mark was pointed at just the average reader who knew a little bit, just a little bit about Jesus, a little bit about Christianity, a little bit about the faith of the Jews at the time. It was just pointed towards the regular Joe. And because of that, it has reference to more miracles than any other gospel. You read the book of Mark, and there's reference to more miracles in the book of Mark than any other gospel. And it carefully records the reactions that others have towards Jesus. Sometimes in the other books, you see Jesus does something, and there's, you get a little bit of reaction. But this one, like, goes into detail about what the people felt, about what the people said, about what the people, their emotional state. And it's a simple story of Jesus, and it ends with a challenge. Believe and be baptized, 
and be saved or don't believe and be condemned. It's just as simple as that. That's Mark for you. It's like believe in Jesus and you have eternal life or don't believe in Jesus and you know the rest, right? And another interesting fact that we talk about already is that the oldest copies of Mark don't present Jesus after the resurrection. It literally ends with the empty tomb. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Mark chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. And it's an interesting story of Salome and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's also on the screen here, and it should be on your screen. Those of you watching online, you should have it on your screen too. So it says here, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they may go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? All right, this is, this is a good question. It's like, who's going to roll this beastie stone away? That's what they were concerned about, right? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Okay, if I walked into a tomb, the stone's already rolled away. There's just a dude there sitting on the side, and I'm expecting to find a dead guy. I'd be alarmed too. Don't be alarmed, the man said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for what we can learn from it. And so as we're looking into your word, speak to our lives, even mine, God, and help us to do something with this and to take it and apply it to our lives. And we just thank you for that in your name. Amen. So I want you to imagine with me the person that you had been following, Salome, Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Jesus, had been following Jesus Jesus had been doing his earthly ministry for about three years, and they had been following him, and then he gets crucified, right? And he gets buried in a tomb, and the guards seal this tomb up with a large stone, and they post guards there to make sure that nothing happens. So these three ladies are going to go anoint Jesus' body, to give him the burial rites, and they had already purchased the night before. So Saturday back then was their Sabbath. So the first day of the week would have been Sunday, which we believe is Easter Sunday, right? And so they had purchased the oils the night before. They were going to the tomb. And they were more concerned about how to move the stone than they were about the whole thing about Jesus. Now, this is interesting because Jesus, I believe it was in Mark chapter 6. I had it in here. Of course, I can't find it now. There was a time in Mark where Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised from the dead in three days, right? Three days I'm going to come back. So these people knew what was going to happen, but they were still more concerned that he was dead. And they weren't excited, being like, we're going to go see Jesus. This is the day. No, they're like, we're going to go anoint the dead body, give him the last rites, right? They had forgotten. Now I want you to take in consideration when they looked up and they saw that the stone was already rolled away. What would you do? Now, this wasn't some dinky little stone. Back then, they made grooves so that the stone would roll down into the middle and sit there unless you really applied force to move it out of the way or you picked it up and moved it. This stone was massive. And these ladies, that's what they were concerned about. But it's already gone. Imagine their shock when they're walking to the tomb and they're like, 
dude, it's gone. Am I blind? Is something going on here? It's gone. And then they walk in. Imagine their imagine. Imagine their imagination. Imagine their reaction. They see the tomb. It's, it's open. The stone's rolled away. But then they go inside, and Jesus isn't there. And they see just a pile of clothes and a man sitting on the right side. Okay, the stone would be one shock. Going in and seeing an angel, essentially, would be a totally different shock. You'd just be, like, dumbfounded. It's hard for me to even process that, how they would feel. I love how the man says that Jesus... The Nazarene is no longer here like he told you he wouldn't be. He said these things would happen, but yet nobody remembered that. Even his disciples that spent that time with him didn't remember that Jesus was going to rise. We had even doubting Thomas. He had to literally feel the hands in the side of Jesus before he would believe that it was him. Jesus had already said that he was going to rise again, and Mark says that these women, even though they knew that Jesus had said that, even though they had experienced that Jesus was gone, it says they left bewildered and afraid. I don't know about you, but if the guy that I had been serving for three years suddenly is not in the tomb he was supposed to be in, and a guy says, hey, he's in Galilee, dude, I'd be sprinting the other way. I'd be like, let's go, right? But no, they were bewildered and afraid. And what did they do? They went and told nobody. That's crazy. They went and told nobody. If something that world-shaking happened, all right, let's just put it this way. You saw someone die on a cross. They're sitting in the morgue or at the funeral home. You go over there, and it's empty. The coffin's empty, and the funeral director's like, dude, he's gone. He got up and walked out. You'd be like, it's amazing, right? You wouldn't be like, dude, what's going on? Is he like throw the body outside or what? No, but you would freak out because it would be amazing that God had risen someone from the dead. But these ladies were so afraid that they didn't share what they saw. Now, if you look at some of the other descriptions and the other uh, gospels, you see that eventually they overcome their fear and bewilderment, and they did go tell Peter. And Peter didn't believe him, of course, until Jesus revealed himself to him. So they did share, but at first they didn't. And like I had talked about, this is where the original transcripts of Mark end. Those ladies saw Jesus gone from the tomb, and boom, that's it. They left bewildered and afraid. That's crazy. Those women had to get to the point where they believed that Jesus had risen, and they had to act on it. And we see that eventually they did in some of the other Gospels. And that's the same thing that every one of us need to do, is we need to come to a point today where we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, and we need to act on it. Some of us, I believe, say that we believe Jesus has risen from the dead. But I think we kind of have the same reactions as the ladies. We're bewildered and afraid, and we do nothing with it. But when we truly believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, that should cause us to be like, dude, something amazing has happened. All right, have you ever, like, given a five-year-old cake? Anybody? What's their reaction when you give them cake? Yeah, they're like, ah, yes, cake! Right? When Jesus, who's so much better than cake, has risen from the dead, why can't we have a reaction like, dude, the God I serve, the man that I thought was dead is risen, but yet most of the time we act just like this. It's crazy, isn't it? So we've got to come to a point today where we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead and we act on it. How many of you guys have ever heard of the car company Rivian? 
It's an electric car company. Kind of modeled itself after Tesla. Nobody? Well, okay. So now I'm going to... Rivian makes electric cars, and their stock market debuted in November of 2021. Their initial public offering is in November of 2021, so last year in November. And they went and had one of the most successful, if not the most successful one that year. And guess how many cars they had made up to that point? So their stock price went through the roof after they had their initial public offering. They had made 56 cars. But yet they are more valuable than Ford and GM. They've only made 56 cars. And that's because people believed in their product. They believed in the concept, even though they hadn't seen a working model. Well, 56 people had seen a working model. Some people had not seen a working model. They believed in the concept so much that they were willing to say, hey, I want to support this. And they had the best initial public offering ever for a car company like that. We need to come to the point, even though we've never seen Jesus raised from the dead, because honestly, we weren't alive 2,000 years ago, that we give it all, just like those people did with the car company Rivian. Rivian investors didn't get to see much of what they're buying. They didn't get to see a car. And God says the same thing to us. God calls us to believe in someone that we've never seen. I don't know about you, but I didn't get to see Jesus raised from the dead. I didn't get to see him hang on the cross. We're not alive. The women in the story at first didn't know for sure. At first, they experienced the empty tomb, but they didn't get to see the Jesus right at that point. But they eventually got to. They had that joy of seeing Jesus raised from the dead. We don't have that. We don't have the joy of being able to go to Galilee, spend some time with the disciples, spend a few more days with Jesus before he ascends to the cloud, which is another awesome thing. I mean, can you just imagine standing there and some dude just goes up? It's like, sweet, right? We didn't get that joy. We don't get the luxury of seeing Jesus. Instead, we're left with his word and his promises, saying that if we believe in him, he will come again. And if we believe in him, we can spend eternity with him. That's what we've got. We have the promise of an empty tomb saying that God is coming back. And that's what God wants us to believe in today because we don't get to see Jesus. John 3.16, most of us know that verse states, whoever believes will have eternal life, right? Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. So when we believe in Jesus... When we have faith in Jesus, we have confidence in what he did on the cross. And we hope for His eternal salvation, or our eternal salvation and spending time with him, right, in eternity. So when we believe in Jesus, we have confidence he was raised from the dead, even if we can't physically see it. And I love Andy Stanley's definition on faith. It's not so much believing in something you can't see, but it's believing that God will do what he said he would do. That's what faith is, is believing that God's going to do what he said he'd do. You look at the Bible, and he said that he had promises in the Bible that he fulfilled in the Bible. We believe that God did those things, and he answered them. We still believe that when he promises that Jesus is coming back, we can still believe those things. That's what faith is. And so the question becomes is, how can we believe in something we haven't seen? Because honestly, the wind, we can't see it, but we can feel it. There's a lot of things in this life that we can't see, but we can feel. What about Jesus? How can we believe in Jesus when we haven't seen him? And the first one, like I said, is God's word. If you believe that God's word is true and you believe the promises that are in it, then that's how we can believe that Jesus is real, that he rose from the dead. And I love how 2 Timothy 3.16 puts it, all scripture is God-breathed. 
We believe that God inspired the writers to write the Bible in their own words, but the way that God directed them. So if we believe that, we can believe that Jesus is raised from the dead because it says he has. That's how we can believe in something that we haven't seen is because we have knowledge from other people who are there. And to be honest, if this wasn't true, this book would have never made it over thousands of years. Because if you ever press someone who's telling a lie, put their life on the line for that lie, they're not going to keep serving it. They're not going to keep going after it if they know it's a lie. The Christians of that time were persecuted for what they believed in. Right after this, the Jesus was uh, crucified. You see in Acts that the church was scattered because of what was going on. If this wasn't true, those people wouldn't have gave their lives for it because it wasn't worth it. But they believed that Jesus has raised from the dead. They believed that Jesus was real. And so they were willing to give up everything to tell everyone. And so that's how we can know that it's true because we have people, eyewitnesses accounts of people who believed and they gave their lives. Most of the 12 disciples paid that price. They gave their lives in brutal ways sometimes because of what they believed. And so we can believe that. If we know what the Bible is true, it says that Jesus conquered death and he's coming again. And we can believe the same thing. So we can look at God's word and that can tell us in what we to believe in something that we can't see. Another thing is we can look at other people's testimonies. You look at other people's lives who are changed by God, even in this day and age, and you have to say, dude, there's got to be a God. Jesus has got to be real. Because if he can take you from there to here and make something incredible, then he can do the same thing for me. And the one that I always point to is my dad. Okay, My dad was an alcoholic, a huge alcoholic when I was a kid. So much so that I always say this, is that when he wanted to meet with the pastor of this church after just a thing that went on with one of my sisters. And he called down to the office and said, hey, can I come meet with you? And the pastor, I believe it was Pastor Moon at that time, said, sure, go ahead and come on down. And then he told the secretary, which is Patty Haluska, hey, put the cops on speed dial. Randy Swartz is coming in. That's how bad it was with my dad. He was an alcoholic. And when I was a kid, he was so angry. I mean, he wasn't abusive physically or anything like that, but he was just an angry person. And people didn't want to be around him. But if you're around him now, the dude's just a teddy bear. He's a big old teddy bear. God, in the span of less than six months, I don't even know if it was less than a month or what it was, he was became an alcoholic to non-alcoholic. He accepted Christ. God put him in situations where he couldn't have alcohol. And so he's like, if I can't drink these days, I'm just not going to drink. And so he, he was done. Just like that, God changed his life. And if God can take a man that, the pastor of a church is saying, hey, you need to put this on speed dial. Something's going down. And to someone who reaches out to kids, someone who is trying to become a pastor too, then he can do the same thing in our lives. I've heard stories of murderers who went to prison and got saved, and then they become an evangelist afterwards. And God does amazing things with their lives. So we can look at other people's testimonies. We can look at the transformation that God has done in other people's lives. And we can say, dude, Jesus is real because of what he's done for you. And I believe that he can do the same thing for me. And that goes to our next point is we can use our own experiences, our own testimonies to believe the fact that Jesus is real. I don't know about you, but I was a messed up teenager. I didn't do a lot of dumb things, but I did enough, right, that 
people asked my sister after I graduated, is he still doing drugs and alcohol? I never did drugs or alcohol, but they thought I did, right, because I hung out with that crowd. God changed me, and I can look at my experiences in my life and say, you know what? I believe that God's real because, one, I didn't die because of all the dumb things I did, and I'm still alive now, but yet he changed me in a way that I'm not the same person. And you can look at the experiences in your life and those dark times in your lives where it feels like everything's going bad. And in those moments, it may seem like nothing's going your way. In those moments, it may seem like God's not in the picture. But if you look back afterwards, you can see where God was working in your favor or God was working things out so that you can make it through it. Where he was putting things in your life saying, hey, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to change. And that's how we know that God is real is because of the way he works in our hearts and in our lives. And sometimes the hardest things that I've gone through have prepared me to go through things even harder in the future. God has worked in my life in such a way that he builds me up. I love the story of David in the Old Testament. Before he fought Goliath, he fought the bear and the lion. And he's like, if God can help me overcome them, then he can help me overcome this Philistine. Now, I don't know about you, but being a shepherd boy, fighting a bear and a lion... I don't know how much the giant really equates to that, but still, God prepares us for things that happen. So we can use our own experiences, the own things in our lives to show us that God is real so that we can believe in him. We can see we serve a risen Savior to look at our, by looking at our own lives, at our own testimony. How many of you guys are gardeners? Anybody like to garden plants? Or you're like me and you attempt to garden? I attempt to garden, right? My plants don't always do what I want them to do. Or the one year I decided I was going to grow tomatoes from seed, I ended up with 500 of them somehow, and I shared the wealth. It never happens the way that I want it to. But the premise of gardening is easy. You take a seed, you plant it in soil, you water it, give it sun, what it needs, and it'll grow, right? That's the premise of gardening. But actually making that happen is not so easy. Because you got to make sure the soil is the right kind of soil. You got to make sure the sun's the right kind of sun. I don't know how you can have different kinds of sun, but apparently it's shade, half shade, full sun, right? You got to make sure you have the right amount of water. Some seeds you water at the beginning and then you leave them alone. And they do their thing until the sun comes up and it's boom, you got to plant. Other seeds, if you forget to water them for one minute, it's like bleh, dead, right? That's how I feel, anyways. I don't have a green thumb, I try to. But there's a lot of skill involved in gardening to do it the right way, to do it in a good way. Anybody can just go plant a seed and try to watch it grow. But how many of you guys have planted a seed and nothing comes up? Half the time I plant seeds. We planted carrots and radishes last year for our girls, and it was our fault. They didn't grow because we forgot to water them. At the end of the year, there was like this plant, and my my daughter's like, Daddy, it's a carrot. I'm like, probably a weed, but she pulled it up, and sure enough, there's a baby carrot, and she ate it, and I'm like, okay, we got one carrot, joy, right? But that's how my seed goes, my gardening goes, but if we believe that we've done everything we can, we planted in the right soil, we watered it the right amount, we believe that seed will grow, in the same way with our faith in Jesus, so we believe that we do everything that we can and believe in him and serve our lives right, we believe that Jesus will be there for us in the midst of our struggles. And at the end, we get to spend eternity with him. Just like that seed sprouts, we get to spend eternity with Jesus when we're done. So gardening, 
Didn't know it was a good sermon illustration, did you? We have hope. Just like you have hope that seed grows, we have hope that Jesus is real and that we get to spend eternity. And that's what the story of the empty tomb gives us. It gives us hope. The three women on that day are walking to the tomb not to see someone risen, not to see an empty tomb, but to anoint a dead body. They're walking to the tomb to pay their last respects for the Savior that they thought was there, for the man that they loved dearly, but he was still dead in their minds. Imagine their shock of not seeing him but seeing the grave clothes. That'd be an, uh, be an incredible moment of shock and panic and wondering what's going on. Did, did Romans steal his body? Did someone come in and do something that we didn't know about? Was there an animal that came in and decided to eat all the body and just leave the clothes in a nice little neat pile? I don't know. But there was shock. But then there's the angel who says, he's not here, he's risen. That's the hope that we have is that when those ladies went there, they saw the empty tomb, they were in shock, but the angel says, he's not here, he's risen, just like he said he was going to be. That's hope. Hope for the future. Hope knowing that the God we serve is still alive, that the Jesus that paid for our sins on the cross is risen again, and we get to spend eternity with him. The message of the cross and the empty tomb isn't of shame and regret, but of joy and hope. It's one of our 16 fundamentals. If you know the Assemblies of God, we have 16 things that we believe are fundamental truths. One of them is the blessed hope that we get to spend. We believe in that Jesus is coming back and that we get to spend eternity with him. Right? That means that no matter what happens to us in this life, we can have hope that Jesus is here with us. I love this quote by Billy Graham. It says, for the believer, there is hope beyond the grave because Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven for us by his death and his resurrection. He knows what you're going through. There's hope beyond the grave. There's hope beyond your circumstance. There's hope beyond your darkest moments because Jesus has conquered death and he's alive. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Though this body that we have is going away and things may not be going right, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he's eternal. He gives us hope. No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what we believe is going wrong, we can look to the cross, we can look to the empty tomb, and we can have hope that God's still there, that God's still alive. And while it may seem dark, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? So here's the deal. And as the worship team, I'd like you guys, if you can come back up here, that'd be great. Here's the deal. No matter how many people tell you about Jesus, no matter how much you read his word or you experience him working in your life, you have to make a choice. Do I believe that Jesus is real? Do I believe that he's risen? And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? You give a kid cake, he's going to eat the cake. You give us Jesus, what are we doing with it? So Heavenly Father, God, I just ask that you would be with us this morning.
God, that you would speak to us. God, we looked at the three ladies who went and they experienced the tomb. God, that's an incredible moment of when they got to see you or not see you in the tomb. And the angel saying that he's risen, he's in Galilee. God, help us to come to a moment today where we believe in you. God, whether it's through your word, through others' testimonies or our own, where we decide, God, that we want to know you more. But God, more than that, let us do something with it. Don't let us be like these ladies at first where we're just afraid and we're hiding and we're not so sure what to do. But God, help us to do something with what we've been given. Help us to do something with the knowledge that we have. And so this morning, I just have a simple question. If you're here this morning, you're saying, you know what? I haven't made that choice. Or maybe I say I believe, but yet it hasn't done anything in my life. I haven't done anything with it. If you're here this morning and that's you, and you're just saying, you know what? I want to believe and I want to act. Would you just raise your hand? Anybody? All right. There's a few of you. So what I want to do is I want to say a prayer. And it's not the words that I'm saying, but it's what you and God do. It's what you do with God in your heart. And so if you just want to repeat after me, everybody just repeat after me and say, God, I know that I've messed up. God, I know that I've done a lot of things wrong. But God, I also know that you paid for my sins on the cross. And God, this morning I want to make the choice. And I want to serve you. And I want to do something with that belief. And help me to do that your name. Amen. If you made that choice this morning, you're saying, you know what, I need to, to believe and I need to act on it. And you're wondering where to go next. You can find me. You can find someone on the stage. Um, and we'll help you with that next step. And then the next thing I want to do is maybe you're you're in that second part of that, that uh, equation where you just need hope. Life is just beating you up. Things are not going the way that you want or the way that you think they should. And you're just saying, God, I need hope. I need you to be there in the midst of my struggles. If that's you, you just want to raise your hand. Anybody? All right, there's a few. So what I want to do is we sing this last song. I just want to encourage you to come up front. And that's for any need. If you've got something going on in your life and you'd like someone to pray with you, you can come up front and stand and someone will be here. But if you're saying, God, I need hope, I just encourage you to come up front. And to, and to just get alone with God and say, God, show me that you're working in the background. Show me that you're there for me. Show me and give me hope. So, Heavenly Father, God, I just pray for those that need hope this morning. God, I just ask that you would speak to their lives, Lord. God, that you would just help them to have hope. God, I know that in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of things that are going on, it's really hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's really hard to see that you're working. But, God, I just ask that you would just show them that you are working. And God, just show them your love. You know exactly what they're going through. You know exactly the things that they're going on in their lives. And show them that you know that. And so God, speak to us. And we just thank you for that.